Thanks for listening. I'm Deanna Fletcher and on Hide of Heart this week we're talking film, storytelling, getting some history and opening our eyes to modern day persecution. Some heavy topics but it's all related to the new film The Promise starring Christian Bale, Oscar Isaac and Charlotte Le Bon. I've been speaking with Academy Award winning director Terry George about the experience of creating something so powerful and the importance of telling a story like this. Plus, the director, who is also behind films like Hotel Rwanda, has some great words of advice for up-and-coming filmmakers and has some thoughts on great storytelling too. You can jump online anytime and download free resources from our friends at Damaris Media by visiting thepromisefilm.co.uk slash booklet. And a little later on, Joel Edwards from Christian Solidarity Worldwide will help us understand what persecution can mean for young people living today. Now, about the film, The Promise is a fictional drama set around World War I. It's a love story. One guy from a small village who happens, by the way, to be a brilliant medical student, meets a lovely lady, but it's not all roses and happy endings because there's drama. Lots and lots of drama. And it's not just because she already has a long-term boyfriend. No, something far more serious, actually. This film paints a picture of what it might have been like for the Armenian people in the early 1900s. War breaks out, families are torn apart and atrocities occur. I can honestly, honestly say that I loved The Promise. Yes, it's a teary one. It will move you. But isn't that what movies are so great for? Entertainment, sure, but also inspiring us to be better, to live bigger. And as we're encouraged in this film, to never forget, keep The Promise and honour the survival of a people. Academy Award winner and director of The Promise, Terry George, tells us more. The Armenian Genocide was actually... Uh, became the event that the word genocide was coined to describe. I was given a script through my agent written by Robin Swicourt, a uh, very distinguished scriptwriter and director in Hollywood, and it was, it was a love story set during uh, the First World War, during this horrendous event. Um, and I was asked to direct that and, and rewrite it, and I was, you know, it was a gift, the, the opportunity to bring this story to the screen in the scope and size that it deserved. I couldn't pass that up. It is a beautiful story and so well told. I mean, I grew up in Europe and yet I've never really received any education about the Armenian genocide, what really happened. I've certainly never seen a movie. I mean, it's not a historical biopic about that. It's a love story, you know, set in that time. But I've never seen a story told on screen about this before. In fact, I, if I'm being really honest, I think the main reason I know it, about, about it is because of how well-known the Kardashians are, mm-hmm. like as the most famous you know, faces in, in popular culture of, of Armenian heritage. Why do you think it's important for this generation and, and the next generations to continue to be aware of some of our history that perhaps they, they'd had no idea about? Well, what you said is, is true. The reason you don't know about the story... Uh, so much is that it's been actively suppressed, and and uh, there, you know there have been elements of Turkish governments who have uh, an agenda that the story shouldn't get out. For me, telling a story such as this on film uh, is perhaps one of the best educational tools there is. If you look at films like Schindler's List, defines for most of us our knowledge of the Holocaust, the Killing Fields, uh, our knowledge of the Cambodian genocide. The film Missing back years ago told the story of the Chilean repression. 
you know, and the Hotel Rwanda became a great vehicle for educating people about the Rwandan genocide. And here I had the opportunity and hopefully uh, made a film that while it, it, its main objective is, like all films should be, to entertain an audience, there's an educational element that this story should get out uh, to the world. Because it, particularly today, its relevance today uh, is actually, you know, quite poignant in that we were filming events that were took place a hundred years ago, and as we were filming them in Spain, the location of the story, the re- the the events that we were portraying were be were happening yet again, where you had, you know, huge masses of refugees fleeing across the deserts of Syria and southern Turkey, um, f- refugees fleeing to the Mediterranean, drowning in the Mediterranean Sea, being trapped up mountains. So, the re- I mean, the story itself is, all, is, a, is almost a mirror image of what's going on today. I did think that sitting watching it, it is so strange how you see a movie like this that is so I mean it's a just it's a story of discrimination you know and across the United States where you live uh, are based a lot of the time and in other countries we're seeing a lot of stories about how people are feeling discriminated against it's kind of a strange time to be alive do you feel like as a movie maker being able to tell stories that speak into the political atmosphere at the time like what's that like is that is that something you'd ever do on purpose or is it kind of a happy accident that's kind of more of a privilege no, I think I do it on purpose in that the, a lot of the films I try to make are about the, uh, the decency and humanity of the ordinary man and how it can triumph ultimately over these, uh, the evil of uh, whether it's you know, the, the crime of genocide, the worst possible crime there is on the, on, uh, on, on the books, as it, so to speak. Um, and, and particularly with this film, just... Uh, a comprehension of where refugees come from, what they go through, what they suffer, and uh, and ultimately what they bring to communities when they, you know, when people accept them for what they their their lost souls, uh, trapped through no uh, fault of their own. Um, so the opportunity to to present that sort of humanism uh, and reinforce. Uh, the power, the inner decency, the inner strength of ordinary people in the face of repression, I mean, that's, I think for me, that's one of the, uh, the real, the great powers that cinema has and a privilege for me to be able to do that. And it is so powerful to watch. And of course, there is that great love story, as you've told us about, in the heart of the movie. Mm-hmm. And a great cast. I mean, I signed up as soon as I heard about the cast, before I even heard about the story. I mean, Christian Bale and Oscar Isaac in particular, two of my all-time favourite actors. Um, what's it like as a director working with talent like that? You know, it's, it's easy in a way <laughs> because you basically stand back and let them do it. You know, my task is don't get in their road so much because they're so prepared and they have so much talent between the three of them in particular, but then our supporting cast, you know, James Cromwell, Tom Hollander, um, we, we just had a phenomenal supporting cast, Jean Renault. Um, but, but, so working with them, and they, they, they were all very generous. We had no prima donnas on this set and, and couldn't afford it. And, you know, Christian Bale in particular is just, just a gentleman and so easy to work with 
and yet gives you so much talent. And then Oscar Isaac, um, you know, he, he's able to embody the culture, the accent, the, the inner thoughts of this character that we wrote. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the challenge for all of us was just getting this enormous film shot in the 70 days that we had to do it. Well, that's another thing I want to talk to you about because, of course, one of the big challenges with any um, filmmaking process is funding. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested to know, perhaps for independent filmmakers, for budding filmmakers, what's it like getting a film like this funded? Because you don't get it funded, you don't get it made. But, like, do you know what I mean? I know that's a very broad question, but I think for a lot of people that's the roadblock where they can't tell their story. Yeah, and and increasingly... It's becoming more and more difficult for independent filmmaker to find the money to make their films. But the, the the promise was a unique sort of hybrid in that the funds for the film had been set up beside aside by um, a, a pretty uh, renowned uh, Armenian American businessman called uh, Kirk Kerkorian, who you know had owned uh, and sold MGM Studios and been involved in. Um, f- uh, the business side of studios all his life and in real estate. Uh, but being of Armenian extraction, um, wanted this story told in, in a film way and therefore designated uh, an amount of money from his uh, fortune to have it made. So we, so the funds were there for us. It was pulling it all together uh, and doing it in this time slot and, and, and creating a film of the scope uh, that he wanted made. He wanted a classical epic story that embodied all of the the basic elements of what happened during the uh, the genocide told on screen. It must be quite... I mean, I didn't know that. That must be really incredible for somebody who, if that's your heritage, this mm. atrocious thing happened to your people in, you know, 1915, mm. to be able to tell that story on a big screen. I mean, that's huge. I was going to ask, were there any other um, Armenian... Um, people are of, of Armenian heritage who were involved as cast and crew because I'd, I'd, oh, yeah. I'd like to know what that was like for them. Well, another one of the lead actresses, uh, Angela Serafin, um, is of Armenian extraction. Her parents are, are Armenian. She's from Los Angeles. Uh, we had several of the lesser actors who were Armenian. Not lesser, in the, I mean somewhat down the scale of uh, the work they had to do. Um, some of the crew, the producer, the key producer in this, Eric Israelian, was a protege of uh, Kirk Kerkorian. So there was a, and then we had a mountain of researchers, uh, not just Armenians, but some Turks uh, and uh, European historians who, who contributed to uh, the research and the documentation and so forth. So there, were, there was a very passionate involvement by Armenians and people actively. Uh, involved in the subject. I can imagine. I mean, we were all crying watching it, so for them it must have been a real... The one particular scene that was difficult for everyone was we do the aftermath of a massacre. Um, and, uh, you know, that that shooting that day uh, had a particular sort of effect on the crew and then on Oscar Isaac, who had to portray the grief of someone who's lost his whole family pretty much um so that was a tough there were tough days in it where you were recreating an event um that people knew was real and and had a uh you know had changed the sort of the outlook of a whole nation so glad that you brought this story to the big screen um i want to ask you about your experience you know getting involved in film you're such an accomplished director now but 
I mean, this, the scope now for young people trying to get involved in making movies, it's so different because they can go online, they can literally go on YouTube, buy a camera and make their own stuff. Do you have any advice or words of sage wisdom for people who want to do what you do? No, actually, keep doing what they're doing. I think that's a fantastic development. You know, in the evolution of storytelling, the capacity to do that, to get a camera... Uh, shoot what you want to shoot then edit it and put it up there I just hope don't be afraid of confronting the real stories uh, and telling them uh, you know it's easier to do the frivolous stuff you know we you know if your cat can play a piano that's great you know (laughs) but um, but there's a storytelling is at the heart of it all and storytelling about situations that uh, fire you up that that you're passionate about that you're angry about then get out with the camera or write you know ultimately there's no computer yet that can write a great story I'm not saying that mightn't happen or whatever but it's not it's not a formula it's 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 a passion a talent a need to tell and so I hope that uh, how we've been the de- democratization of storytelling, of filmmaking, and uh, um, by the internet, by YouTube, by the the technology, I, I'd love to see that used to the maximum effect uh, in in the feature film way. In that you you do find stories that you then craft to essentially distill them down to their elements and present them in drama. That. So my advice is, yep, get the camera, get the iPhone, get whatever, but sit down and write it and craft it towards a a point of view that you have and your objective is to universalize that, to persuade most people uh, to entertain and persuade most people around the world to come and watch this. So what do you look for in a great story? What grabs your attention as a director? Um, I look for... The everyman story, situations, particularly political or humanitarian, where there are ordinary decent heroes, where people step outside uh, the role that they've been given in life and confront evil or confront something uh, that they overcome and become better people because of it. That's, that's the, the thread that runs through the films that that I try to make. I look for those characters who I hope are inspirational to ordinary people everywhere. Well, thank you very much to you and your team for the promise, and thank you for your time. Let me ask you before I let you go, what are you working on next? What can we look out for from you? I'm trying... I made a short film um, five years ago now, four years ago, called The Shore, which won the Academy Award for Best Short Film, and I'm, I'm now turning that into a feature film a small independent feature film. Um, so it's going from the big epic down to the basics again. So I'm really looking forward to that. Terry George, director of The Promise. It's in cinemas everywhere, so buy a ticket. The cast are exceptional, really. Oscar Isaac should basically be in every film always, I feel, and it's a wonderful story. And thanks to our friends at Damaris Media, you can download free resources to help you discuss themes from the film. Visit thepromisefilm.co.uk slash booklet.
Thanks for listening and for being involved in the conversation this week. Height of Heart is back every week, actually, with a new conversation surrounding film or music and books and heaps of other cool stuff. So subscribe to the podcast and make sure you don't miss out. So Christian Solidarity Worldwide, or CSW for short, works in over 20 countries around the world defending those most vulnerable to religious persecution. They hope that one day soon we'll live in a world where everyone is free to choose their beliefs, to hold and to practice any religion they like or none at all. Because it's the freedom of belief that's so important, isn't it? To choose, the right to choose. So does persecution, like we've been hearing about in The Promise, still happen on such a massive scale today? How does something like this happen to a whole nationality of people even? Well, Joel Edwards has more on that. I mean, this was really a very uh, historic um, occasion and account in which in 1944, uh, a gentleman called Raphael Lemkin basically based the concept of genocide on the Armenian genocide itself. So it was both a tragic historic situation in which something like one and a half million people lost their lives uh, and were displaced over a five-year or so, ten-year period, but also groundbreaking in terms of a definition of genocide which has been accepted um, globally. It's a strange question to ask, it's a hard question to ask, but what do we know about why things like this have happened throughout our history, uh, the Armenians not being, sadly, not being the only example. Why do things like this happen, do you think? I think that's a very good question. It's a very complicated number of interacting issues which can cause communities which were previously in very good um, harmonious relationships, Rwanda, Burundi is one of our most recent examples. And then what happens is when a group of people access power and you have a combination of nationalism and self-interest, the fear of uh, another group uh, being economically stronger, the view that they're taking your jobs, uh, they're taking the privileged positions of power in business, then that kind of combination, as we saw in this particular issue or incident with the Armenians, can very quickly turn what was uh, previously a very um, harmonious community into a very destructive place to be, particularly if you happen to be uh, the smaller minority. And very often, issues of identity, nationalism, religion coalesce in such a way that it's very hard to disentangle them. And this is precisely what we saw in this uh, tragic case uh, just over 100 years ago. And, you know, what's tragic even still is, of course, you mentioned a bit there um, about religious persecution. I mean, that's something that still happens in this day and age, you know, it's we're well, we're well past now World War One, and yet people all around the world are displaced simply because of their faith or their religious beliefs. Why? Why does that happen? And who's most affected by that in this day and age? Well, the there's a very um, well-established organisation called the Pew Foundation who do a lot of very good work in the area of uh, persecution and the way in which religion um, is actually factored in. They tell us that. Worldwide, um, 70% of individuals across the world are persecuted, marginalized, uh, either by state or by local communities, simply because of their faith. And therefore, the work which organizations like uh, ourselves, Christian Solidarity Worldwide, become involved with is working within the framework of freedom of religion or belief. And the thing is, uh, 
the most sacred thing about uh, the human condition is your right to believe or to change your belief. And so when we find individuals who are being subject to persecution, indeed even genocide, because of their faith, it means that the global community, through instruments like the United Nations, has a tremendous responsibility to respond. And if we think seven out of ten people in our world today are experiencing very similar situations to that which we see displayed in The Promise, then we know that we have an incredible amount of urgent work to do. Absolutely. And I don't want to take the issue of persecution lightly in the sense that in the Western world, we might sort of throw it around when you look at things like that happened in Armenian history and, you know, affecting other people in this day and age, like persecution. When we use that word, like what really qualifies as persecution for people? Yeah, I mean, it's a rather good question. Persecution varies and it can be Um, as we experience in our work, um, denying children their education because of their parents' faith or belief. It can be um, denying people access to proper jobs, to university placements. It can be denying people the opportunities to excel in their own profession. It can mean, for many people, sadly, um, detention, Uh, imprisonment, and sometimes even death. And so the term persecution is a very varied word, which covers quite um, a number of um, incidents in which people are brutalized, marginalized, discriminated against, or even killed. I want to ask you really quickly as well about young people, particularly looking at teenagers, young adults, 20-somethings, around the world who face real severe persecution. Obviously, it's a generational issue. Um, Their parents, young children, like whole families will be affected by this. But what do we know about how it's affecting a new generation of people and what will happen to them? Like, how does it affect their mindset, their opportunities, if we don't step in and try and do something about it? Invariably, the people who suffer most when societies implode and relationships go pear-shaped are the young, the most vulnerable, um, uh, those who still have a lot of future in in front of them. We see this visibly, don't we, in our television screens as we look at the situation, the awful plight of individuals escaping the Syrian conflict. We see this as we see individuals uh, escaping atrocities across uh, places like Africa, Libya and so on, that almost always at the front of the suffering, uh, we see a stream of children and young people. And very often in these places where there is an implosion of democracy and people are losing their right to choose, um, we see that this expresses itself, particularly in the lack of educational opportunities. And one of the things we're doing here at CSW and watch this space as it were, is looking at the relationship between children who are marginalized from educational opportunities because their faith is against the mainstream of what is happening within the nation. This is absolutely true and increasingly so in places like Sri Lanka and India, in Iran, where Baha'i communities, for example, uh, experienced terrible discrimination and very often that is about a loss 
of educational and employment opportunities in those circumstances. And so there is definitely a strong relationship which we're looking at between persecution for one's faith and how that touches down in the discrimination which children experience in the classroom, which young people experience in uh, adult and further education, and certainly which many professional Christians experience in their professional lives. Some big topics, but some great ones, and certainly some thinkers. My thanks to director Terry George for speaking with me and for the Promise film in general. I loved it. I really did. Thanks also to Joel Edwards and the team at Christian Solidarity Worldwide. Their website is csw.org. UK. So do be sure to uh, take a look and check them out. A big thanks as well to Damaris Media for making this week's show a possibility. Download those resources, talk about the themes in the movie with your family, your local church, your uni friends, everyone. Visit thepromisefilm.co.uk slash booklet for more. And thanks to you for listening. Get involved on Instagram, on Twitter, or you can email us as well, radio at heightofheart.com. Please be sure to subscribe to the free podcast as well so you can listen to great conversations wherever you are and whenever it suits you. But thanks for listening. I'm Deanna Fletcher and I'll be back next week with more Height of Heart.